In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time, because you realise that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends and put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. But this Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells within him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what was asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, 
No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation, that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. And the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes are partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some strength of the iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes are partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. The rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel, and paid him honour, and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon 
while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. This is the word of God. (laughs) Thank you very much for bringing that reading. That was a long one. So uh, well done for reading it and uh, well done to you all for uh, listening to it this afternoon. I'm aware that you've been outside, you've been running around, you've had a good square meal and you're now all ready for a nap. And we had a long reading and uh, we need to look at it uh, together. So I'm aware that there are a number of things are stacked against us at the moment uh, because of that. So why don't I lead us in a prayer and uh, ask for energy and uh, renewed enthusiasm as we come to this portion of God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do want to give thanks that in a changing world that we can be assured of your rule. And we want to give thanks for the short anchor that we have in your word. So, Father, we do pray that you would help us to learn the lessons of this passage well. Father, we know that we are spiritually hungry. We know that we need you to feed us. And uh, so, Father, we would ask for you to speak now to each of us uh, in our hearts uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, speaking through your word. And uh, we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. So then, we've been looking at uh, where is God in a changing world? And we saw earlier on, of course, that one vitally important thing that we need to remember in navigating that is to remember that God rules. We looked at the experiences of four young Israelites at the time of the Babylonian exile. We saw that they were taken to this pagan land ruled by a pagan king, uh, but yet they resolved to take a firm stand for God, knowing that he rules, the God who rules. Now we come to Daniel chapter 2, and what we see here is that God reveals. So that's made very clear in our passage in verse 19, verse 28, verse 29, and especially verse 47, where God is uh, described as the revealer of mysteries. That uh, language is used in a number of verses. So verse uh, 19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel. Um, Verse uh, 28, um, the uh, dreams and visions, uh, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Uh, The revealer of mysteries showed you what was going to happen, verse 29, when we are reading God's word and we see that sort of repeated vocabulary a number of times, that's a really good clue as to what the passage is about. So this is a passage about God being the revealer of mysteries, especially as we'll see the mystery of what will happen in the future. Uh, God reveals. Now, the chronology is not entirely clear, uh, and there's various explanations for this, but the implication seems to be that by this time, Daniel and his three friends are employed by the king as part of a larger group of sort of advisors, uh, astrologers, uh, and wise men. This is a long chapter, 49 verses long, but I think it is actually one story, and it kind of hangs together as one story. And uh, we will see that both the way that the king's dream is revealed and the dream itself uh, have an application for us. So then, first of all, we're going to look at what I've called the mystery hidden. So the mystery of the king's dream uh, hidden. So in verse uh, 1 to 13, as you probably picked up, we come to a man who has a problem. He was the most powerful ruler in the world, but yet he has a problem. And his problem is that he is anxious, he is troubled, and he can't sleep. And the reason is because he has had a dream. So uh, verse 1 to 3, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. 
His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Now, immediately we're probably uh, asking, what is the big deal with this dream? Like lots of us will have had dreams. If you're anything like me, you probably can't remember most of them, but we don't get too hung up about them. Uh, this uh, last week, I was watching some snake videos just before going to sleep and then went to sleep and woke up in the morning. And of course, I had, had dreams about snakes, um, but I really don't think too much of that. I basically keep on going with my life as normal. So what is the big deal with this dream here for King Nebuchadnezzar? Well, we need to remember that in the ancient world, they thought that the dreams were how the gods communicated with you. They weren't just the product of your subconscious or what you watched on TV late at night, the night before, which is how we tend to think, but they were seen as the way that the gods communicated with mortals. All the evidence that we have from history, both inside and outside the Bible, is that Nebuchadnezzar was a very religious man. And so for him, this dream was a big deal. What if he missed out on some important message from the gods? What if they were trying to warn him about a plot that was maybe coming against him or an army that was uh, advancing against his kingdom? You see, he needed to know what this dream was in order to be a wise ruler. So it's incredibly important to him that he knows this dream and what it means. Uh, it may help us to connect with this a little bit more if we think about the question, would you like to know what the future holds? Would you like to know what will happen in the next 12 months? What about the next three weeks? Okay, of course we would. Well, that's the kind of significance of this dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And so he calls in his wise men. They say, may the king live forever, which is always a wise way to start with Nebuchadnezzar. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replies, no, I've decided that you need to tell me the dream and the interpretation. If you're not able to do this, by the way, you'll all be killed and your houses will be reduced to rubble. But if you do this, then you'll receive great riches. Now, we don't know whether Nebuchadnezzar had just forgotten the dream that he had had or whether he's actually testing these wise men uh, to make sure they are loyal to him and uh, uh, not just making things up and sort of saying what they think he wants to hear. But either way, the king's request presents these wise men with a big problem. They try coming back at the king in verse 7 to 9 to say he's being a little bit unreasonable, uh, but things only get worse. And then it's almost like everybody completely loses it. So in verse 10, the astrologers and the wise men say there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. There's no one on earth who can do what the king's asking. Then the king gets really angry and says that this really is the last straw. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Now, I think there's lots of possible lessons for us here. But surely one is that how we respond emotionally to things reveals a lot about the state of our hearts. How we respond emotionally to things reveals a lot about the state of our hearts. 
Here, King Nebuchadnezzar responds with astounding hostility to the fact that either he can't remember or he, isn't, he uh, hasn't received the interpretation of this dream. These wise men can't tell him his dream or interpret it, and so he responds with hostility and decides to kill them all. His hostility surely reveals his insecurity. He may be the most powerful ruler on earth, but yet he's deeply insecure, and he does not know the future. He wants to control the future, which is why he wants to know what this dream is. No one can tell him his dream, and so he's filled with anxiety and insecurity. So often the way it is with us too, our emotional responses actually tell us a lot about the state of our hearts. If you want to know where God is working or where God wants to work in your life, then I think a great place to look is at your emotional responses to things. How do you respond to your kids? How do you respond to your wife? How do you respond to events in your life which are disappointing, maybe? Especially if there's an emotional response that seems out of proportion, then is it possible that that's an area of your life that God wants to actually work in? I actually saw one example of this in my own life uh, last year. So uh, last Christmas, uh, we were scheduled to go away on holiday. Uh, I'd been very busy, like many pastors are, in the run-up to Christmas. And I was really, really looking forward to getting away. I uh, went to check in online the previous day. And uh, for some reason, I couldn't check in with my wife's passport. Of course, uh, one phone call later, I discovered that it didn't have the six months remaining on it that was required to fly or to get a visa to the country that we were going to. And I just felt this massive emotional reaction well up within me. I could see the holiday that I'd been so looking forward to just sort of slipping away from me. Uh, I could see us losing lots of money. I could see me on holiday with no wife and all of our three kids, which would have been no holiday. Uh, and I just felt this huge emotional reaction just sort of welling up within me. And I instantly knew that uh, it was a diagnostic of a heart problem. I realized in a moment that God was uh, telling me, saying to me, that I'd been hoping in this holiday way too much, and I hadn't been doing a particularly good job of resting in him. And I knew immediately that in 2020, uh, I needed to make some changes spiritually um, to that. Now, mercifully, God, in his grace, worked things out, and my wife was able to get an emergency passport and was able to fly out and join us later on. Uh, it wasn't pleasant at the time at all, but looking back, I think there was an element of God's grace in that whole circumstance to me, reminding me the importance of resting in him. And you can probably think of examples uh, in your own lives too. Think of a time when you've maybe had a strong emotional reaction to something that would have seemed excessive to any uh, objective observer. What's that saying about the state of your hearts? Uh, when you get really mad at your friends maybe, is that really all about your friends? Or is it also saying something about the state of your heart? Well, maybe that's God's grace to you, uh, exposing something of our need of him. Surely this is something that this uh, pandemic is doing amongst us, uh, exposing the state of our hearts. Are we more easily angered? Are we more fearful? Are we more selfish? Are we more inward-looking? Are we more judgmental? 
Well, surely all of those things are exposing the state of our hearts and uh, what we are like. They highlight our need of God and of his work and the presence of his spirit in our lives. And so we see the mystery hidden. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar needs to know what this dream means, and that is bad news for the wise men of Babylon. It's also bad news for Daniel and his friends. And so we move on to what I've called the mystery revealed. So uh, now we come across someone else with a problem, and this time it's Daniel and his friends. Uh, However, they don't respond with hostility and insecurity, as we'll see, but rather with faith in God. And we see that they look to him, they seek answers from him, and they trust in him to rescue them. So let's look at how they do it in verse 13 to verse 30. And first of all, we see here that Daniel is a person of wisdom. Maybe notice those little words there in verse 14, where Daniel speaks to the commander of the guard with wisdom and tact. You can probably imagine the scene. Daniel is working hard in his office uh, in the royal palace when there's a knock at the door. It happens to be the king's chief executioner. Um, However his day was going up until that point, it probably just got a whole lot worse. And then we read that Daniel speaks to him with wisdom and tact. He manages to diffuse the situation, to find out what the problem is, and then manages to ask the king for some extra time to answer the king's request. And God's word here calls that wisdom. It's knowing what to do based on a relationship with God. Wisdom. Uh, Daniel knows God, and so he has practical insight into how to act uh, in his life. Uh, That's what the Bible calls wisdom. I guess in our world, we have lots of Christians who are very willing to react to the latest uh, Facebook post. But how many Christians do we have of real wisdom, uh, a mature relationship with God, those who know God, and so they know how to act and conduct themselves uh, in the the world? Um, We also see that Daniel was a person of prayer. Uh, So what's the first thing that Daniel does when he gets back from the king in verse 17 and 18? Well, he calls his his friends together and they have a prayer meeting. Uh, They don't immediately rush off to consult their scrolls. Um, They don't look up the Wikipedia article on dream interpretation. They don't take things into their own hands. Instead, they pray to the true and living God for mercy and seek an answer from him. And then we also see that Daniel is a person of worship. So in verse 19, we read that God reveals the mystery of the king's dream to Daniel during the night. We don't know if Daniel at this point knows that he's got the right dream or the right interpretation or not. But we do know that Daniel trusts that he has and that God has heard and has answered his prayer. Now, if this was you, I wonder what you would have done next. Wouldn't most of us have sprinted off to the king as fast as we possibly could to tell him the dream uh, to make sure that everyone was spared. I'm sure that's what I would have done uh, if I was Daniel. Well, instead we see that Daniel's first response was to praise and worship God. So uh, verse 20 to 23, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. 
He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. It's really an amazing prayer of praise and worship. And it's really the theological heart of this whole chapter. Just look at what it tells us about God's character. There in verse 21, he changes the times and the seasons. God is the God who deposes kings and raises up others. Uh, And we'll see that again in a few minutes. And how reassuring there is verse 22. And it says, he knows what lies in darkness. Maybe you're here this afternoon and there's so much in your life, so much in the future that is unknown to you. So much that seems dark to you. Well, God knows that and uh, the things that lie in darkness are known to God. And so we can trust in him with confidence. Daniel leads this life which is orientated towards God. And uh, we really see that here in the way that he uh, responds with uh, praise and worship uh, to God giving him this dream. Very helpful quote from one commentator, Sinclair Ferguson, says, His God-given reaction to the impending catastrophe is matched by his God-centred response when the catastrophe is averted. It is not always so. The test of our spirituality does not lie only in the fervency of our prayers in times of crisis, but in the wholeheartedness of our worship when God acts in grace. Relief unaccompanied by worship is never an adequate response to the mercies of God. So many of us have been praying that God would be merciful and uh, reverse or restrict the uh, spread of the pandemic, for instance. How many Christians will stop and and give thanks to God uh, if he was to actually do that? That's uh, Sinclair Ferguson's point here. The person of faith not only pleads with God when they're in times of trouble, but there's someone who praises and worships God when God comes to their relief. Is that lacking uh, in any of our, our lives? Then we also see that Daniel is a person of great boldness uh, as he speaks to the king. So in verse 24, Daniel asks Arioch uh, not to execute the wise men. In verse 25, Arioch takes Daniel to the king, uh, including wonderfully taking some of the credit for himself. I wonder if you noticed that. This guy, Arioch, says, I have found a man among the exiles, as if he can sort of partly take credit for sort of... Uh, what Daniel has received from God. Uh, I have found a man among the exiles who can interpret the dream for the king. And then Daniel speaks to the king. And uh, we see what happens next uh, in verse uh, 26 to 29. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. Daniel speaks boldly to the king. Daniel could have easily soft-pedaled this. He could have easily taken the credit for it all himself. Yet he's clear that the contents of the dream and its meaning come from God. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Uh, A couple of application points for us. First of all, I think we see here God's power. One of the reasons that this story is in the Bible, I think, is to reveal just how useless the pagan gods of Babylon are. They may have looked really impressive, 
Most people at the time probably believed in them, but that, yet they were useless when it came to revealing this dream to the king. They're dumb idols. They don't know the future. Their claims are void. This would have been super important for Daniel's first readers. They might have been surrounded by all kinds of alternative religions offering insights into the mysteries of the universe. This story reminds God's people that those claims are empty. There is only one true God in heaven. There is only one who knows their future. He alone is the revealer of mysteries. Of course, it's the same in the world in which we live. Uh, We live in a world where there's many claims to truth and insight. Many of them are believed by many people. Many of them look very impressive. It's easy to lose confidence in God and wonder where he is. What is he doing? Well, this reminds us of God's power. God alone knows the future. How many of the so-called experts in our world have predicted all that happened in 2020? How many know what will happen next year? None. This is a reminder of God's power that he alone knows the future and is worthy of our trust. Then we also see God's revelation here. What is God doing in our world? Well, he's making himself known. He's revealing himself to men and women. In this passage, we see him revealing himself to King Nebuchadnezzar through his servant Daniel. When we come to the New Testament, we know that God reveals himself to us through Jesus Christ, the one who's described as the power and wisdom of God. Um, It's one of the ironies of this passage that this was the one thing that the wise men thought was impossible in verse 11. Or if you noticed verse 11, they sort of scoff at this idea that anyone can reveal the mystery to the king except the gods. And of course, they don't live among humans. Well, how wonderful from a New Testament perspective that we know that the one true God did choose to come and live among humans. In a few weeks' time, we'll come to Christmas. And as we do so, we will look at John 1, verse 14, I'm sure. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So let's worship God for his greater revelation to us. Not merely a servant like Daniel to interpret a dream, but God's only Son come to earth to reveal God himself, the exact representation of his being to us. So then, we see the mystery revealed, but then uh, what's the content of this mystery? And this moves us on to see, lastly, uh, the mystery explained. And uh, we can see the content of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in verse uh, 31 to 35. Remember, the king sees this huge statue, which was dazzling and awesome in appearance. You can see an artist's impression of the kind of thing uh, that it might have looked like uh, there on the screen. So the head was made of gold, the chest and the arms were made of silver, the belly and thighs of bronze, and then the legs and feet of uh, iron and iron mixed with clay. And then as uh, Nebuchadnezzar watched, a uh, rock sort of flew in from the side and hit the statue on its feet and uh, smashed the whole thing into smithereens. The whole thing crumbled and the wind swept it away, leaving no trace at all. But the rock grew and became a mountain that filled the whole earth. So that's uh, the content of the king's dream. But then, of course, what does this mean? 
Well, it's uh, very easy for us to get bogged down in the detail, but actually I think its main meaning for us is uh, really clear. So first of all, the statue. So Daniel's interpretation says that the different metals represent different empires. Daniel is clear in verse 38 that the gold head represents King Nebuchadnezzar. And then the accepted view is that the silver represents Persia, the bronze is ancient Greece, and the iron and the ironing and clay is Rome. But the big point, of course, is that all of these kingdoms are under God's control. It is God who raises them up, and it is God who brings them down. And so in verse 37, Daniel's very clear that Nebuchadnezzar is a great king. He rules over everything that there is. He even calls him the king of kings. Yet any power that he has has only been given to him by God. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. And then Daniel is equally clear that all of these kingdoms will come to an end. Verse 39, we have the words, after you. Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, after you will come all of these other empires uh, and they will all end as well. Now, it may have been a little bit of an encouragement to old Nebuchadnezzar to know that he was the head of gold. Um, but yet his and all the empires of the world, including the ones that we see around us, will eventually come to an end. Whenever you see a world empire, whether it is a dictatorship or a democracy, you can be sure of this, that that empire will not last. That ought to have humbled Nebuchadnezzar and it ought to humble every single world leader. Your empire will not last. There will always be an after you. I'm told that there was a town in Estonia in 1991, and uh, after the fall of the former Soviet Union, one of the very first things that this town did was auction off its statue of Lenin. Uh, the statue of Lenin had stood in the middle of the town for the whole of the Soviet era, but now was to be auctioned off uh, and would be no more. I think uh, they auctioned it for 15,000 US. Uh, that's what God says will happen to all world empires. In the early church, I'm told that at the time of uh, the Roman Emperor Julian the Apostate, uh, there was a story of someone who wasn't a Christian, who was goading uh, someone who was. Uh, they were asking them, well, what is the carpenter's son doing now? And the Christian apparently replied, making a coffin for the emperor. Well, that's a pretty blunt way of putting it, but that's basically true. That's the lesson of this statue that every world empire and every emperor will one day come to an end. But then there's also another lesson for us here, which is that the lesson of the stone, which is that God's kingdom will endure. So remember this stone that uh, hits the statue. It grows to the size of a mountain that fills the whole earth. Now, the empires of this world will end but yet God's kingdom is a stone that will be established and will grow until it fills the whole earth. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Now this is obviously future for King Nebuchadnezzar, but this is the reality that we are living in now. The rock that struck the statue during the time of the fourth kingdom, which remember is Rome, was the coming of Christ. According to 1 Peter 2 verse 4, we come to Christ as the living stone. Many times in God's word, he's referred to as the capstone that the builders rejected. 
And so hopefully you can see what I'm saying. The kingdoms of the earth will all end. However, God's kingdom, which he has established through Christ's death and resurrection, will supersede them all. And it will grow. It will grow through the preaching of the gospel until it fills the whole earth. For King Nebuchadnezzar, all of this was a sort of far-off dream. For us, this is the reality that we are now living in in our world, the growth of God's kingdom uh, to the ends of the earth and that we have a part in by God's grace. So, what is God doing in our changing world? Well, this assures us that God is in control of the rise and fall of nations. Don't be worried when you see nations rising and falling. They will all end one way or the other, sooner or later. But yet God's kingdom has come into our world in Christ and is growing, and that will be ultimately triumphant in the end. What's the application for us? Well, don't wed yourself to an earthly kingdom. Live for God's kingdom instead. Don't make the mistake of thinking that an earthly nation state or your own personal kingdom or the kingdom of your boss, or the kingdom that your company or university is trying to establish is ultimate, because it's not. All of those kingdoms will fall. Only God's kingdom lasts forever. Now, of course, uh, living for God's kingdom doesn't mean that we completely withdraw from the world. As we saw uh, uh, earlier on, we see at the end of this uh, passage that Daniel continued to work for the king in his government. But there is a warning for us here. As one author comments, Friend, hear this story and beware. Do not fully hitch your wagon to what will inevitably be a falling star. Serve the powerful people you work for well, but remember that they are not ultimate, even if they act as if they are. No amount of money, influence or knowledge in this world can make someone ultimate or sovereign. Do not hitch your whole life to someone God promises will fall. And it certainly seems as if King Nebuchadnezzar had begun to grasp this message as well. We see his response in verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. And so we're really left at the end of this chapter with this incredible scene the most powerful king in the world lying prostrate on the floor before a man his army had captured and had led into exile as a slave. But now he acknowledges the power and wisdom of his God. And so if we're God's people this afternoon, this should be something that gives us great confidence. This is the reality that we see going on in our world, no matter what we watch on the news. The nations of the world will rise and fall, but yet God's kingdom will continue to grow. Therefore, why would we ever want to invest our lives anywhere else? That rock has come, and that rock is becoming a huge mountain that will fill the whole earth. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to give thanks this afternoon that you are the revealer of mysteries. We give thanks that you revealed the meaning of uh, this pagan king's dream to your servant Daniel. And we give thanks for its message for us. We give thanks that you are in control of the rise and fall of the kingdoms in our world. 
We give thanks that you have established your kingdom in Christ. We pray that you would help us to have confidence in you and that we would invest our lives in the work of your kingdom. And we ask all of these things now. In Jesus' name, amen.